Good morning. Hi, kids. <laughs> they are joining us today for this service. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. Welcome to Evergreen. Welcome to church this morning. Um, back in the summer of 2013, the staff and I, we started thinking about a sermon series about giving. We didn't have a title. We didn't know how many, but I envisioned today, just as we started talking about, I imagined uh, a group of folks sitting up here and sharing the stage with me. So I'm super excited. Uh, This is the climax, the third sermon in the series that we have been calling Five Sermons About Giving. Uh, I think it's been a really good series. I don't think I've made anybody cringe because I haven't cringed yet. So it's been a success in my book, talking about money. Uh, And I think money really is boring. It's very shallow. But trying to get underneath money, that's when it really gets interesting. So far, we've talked about trust. Last week, we talked about the idea of being entrusted by God. And today, we're going to redeem this word called legacy. Uh, Legacy, by definition, simply means what you leave behind for others. It can be monetary, it can be physical like property, or it can be a way of life, a value, a way to think, a name. But whatever it is you leave behind for others, that is your legacy. And this is a sobering truth for me to think about. That whether I'm aware of it or not, whether I'm intentional about it or not, I am always leaving something behind. There's always some kind of influence or impact or imprint that I'm making on those around me. It's happening right now. It's going to happen right after this is over. It's going to happen for the rest of your life. Uh, One story of legacy that comes to mind is uh, one of my uh, mentors that really kind of turned my thinking and life in a different direction is the person that replaced me at the church in Boston. His name is David Swaim with an M. His wife's name is Michelle. And the first Sunday that Dave was coming to our church to Candy that he was to preach, he was there early and interacting with folks, but his wife wasn't there. Everybody's asking, where's Michelle? And you know what Michelle was doing? She, we found out, was walking seven miles to church, all the way from Arlington, where they lived, all the way to uh, Central Square in the YWCA where we were meeting. That's seven miles. She was going to walk that. And prior to Dave and Michelle growing up in New York City, walking was a necessary evil. You walked because you had to get out from one train and take the bus or get from one train to the next train. It wasn't a desirable thing, but here they were walking on purpose. And since then, you know, that just blew our minds. And now we walk all the time. And if Susie and I could walk 10 hours and explore a city with a backpack full of goodies to eat with our dog, that is a great day. We never would have had that thought had it been not for Dave and Michelle. I have no idea if they realized that they completely changed the way we spend time uh, by that one Sunday when Michelle decided to walk to church, which is normal uh, for them. 
Uh, let me put it another way. Another way to think about this idea of uh, legacy is to think about a baton. That we are all running this race called life, but we don't run empty-handed. All of us run holding a baton. And, get this, there is somebody at the end of your particular segment in the race that's waiting to take the baton from you. You don't run for yourself. You don't run just to win your segment. You're running for the long haul and somebody is waiting to receive something from you. And they have to get it from you. That's powerful to me. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 9. Let me read it one more time. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, and the way we remember who came first is the J comes before the S. Right, kids? Right. So it's Elijah. He was the original. And then his successor is Elisha. Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. We'll get to that phrase later. Elisha replied, you have asked a difficult thing. Elijah said, "Let me. yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. Now, Elijah was one of the greatest prophets. But at some point in his career, in his life, God had him turn his attention to his baton. God said, Elijah, look at your hand. What's in it? Oh, it's a baton, is it? Your life wasn't just about you. It's about something far beyond you. And your job now is to pass this baton. And I want to say to you today that this is a pattern in the Bible This is not just Elijah and Elisha. Genesis 1, 28 says, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. From the very beginning, it wasn't just about Adam and Eve. It was about us also. And it's not just about us. It's about people. We don't even know their names yet. They don't even exist yet. Be fruitful and multiply. What's the point of a fruit? It certainly isn't for the tree that's bearing them. John 14, 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. At some point in Jesus' ministry career, he paused and he turned to his disciples and said, it's about you. You are going to do the very things that I am doing, that you've seen me do. And in fact, you are going to do greater things. What greater things? We, here in this room, we are the greater things. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Our job isn't just to bear fruit for others. It's not just to leave stuff behind, but it's to leave stuff behind that will last forever. What matters? What can stand the test of time? What is life about? 
Matthew 28:19, Jesus' final command to us says, "Therefore go and enjoy your life." No, it's not about you or your life. It's about the next generation. Go and make disciples of all nations. 1 Corinthians 9.24 Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. I think the forever bit has to do with the passage of generations. 2 Timothy 4, 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and in, and in the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul certainly lived his life beyond himself. It wasn't just for himself and for his generation that he lived his life. He was content to be poured out to fertilize the soil for those that would be planted and bear fruit beyond him. God's purpose for us is that we run the race of life with the entire race in mind. That beyond our segment, there is somebody waiting to receive the baton from us. And we didn't start the race. We received the baton from somebody else. We are one link in a long, long chain. And at some point, we focus not to our running only, but to the baton. We have to pass the baton. Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Joseph, Joseph to Solomon, Elijah to Elisha, John the Baptist to Jesus, Jesus to his disciples, Paul to Timothy, his disciple. And us, and us to whom? The race goes on. Uh, Take a look at this picture. Observe it well. I have a question for you. One of those people up there do not fit in. (laughs) That's right. It's Bob Things. He has no hair. (laughs) Come on up, you guys. Um, These are the seven that remain at our church who are here uh, prior to Pastor Bud Palmberg, our patriarch, uh, being here at our church. This is Marianne Dawson. We have, at that end, we have Don and Mary Strom. We have John and Polly Lindbergh here. And then in the center here, Bob and Nancy Dings. And uh, it's been so fun to work with them for the last two weeks to prepare for our time today. They did a wonderful job in the first service. And uh, I've asked them to uh, share their name. And their age, they're willing to do that. And to uh, think about these questions. Tell us a fun church story. 
Tell us why you came to this church and why you stuck around. Tell us what you see now and what you hope for, for the church. Tell us one lesson you learned about how to do church better. Tell us one thing we're all overreactive about as younger people. Tell us the ball that we should keep keep our eyes on. And then to finish this sentence, remember that. What do they want us to remember? Okay? And so they've, they have prepared statements for us. And uh, who would like to go first? Good morning, everybody. Go. To the church of 2013. <laughs> I'll say it again. Good morning to the church <laughs> of 2013. We come from the older church of like 1950 and 60. 2014. What did I say? You said 2013. Okay. Right. <laughs> Oldies can be corrected. We are golden oldies. Uh, some of the first people in this church, when it had about seven families uh, in the uh, later 50s, we've all come from different places, but we're all very good friends, and hopefully we be friends here and into eternity. I came from, uh, we, our family came from Chicago out here, out of uh, my husband's residency, and <clears throat> we settled here in Seattle, and everywhere we've gone, we've looked for a church to start our life. Uh, we came from a wonderful little covenant church in Hinsdale, Illinois, where we, that we had enjoyed so much, and received so much from it. So we looked here and we started out in a denominational church. We are from a, I am from a small Danish Lutheran church. And so we kind of looked for a Lutheran church because that's my background. But uh, the one we went to, I said, I, I just not, this is not like the church I've grown up in. We had a small Wonderful. I, my spiritual training was basically my church and my family. So I wanted, I think, to raise my family in a church that would give my children the same things that I received in my little church in Des Moines, Iowa. So we came here, looked, and ended up here with this small little church. But as we attended and jo- joined it and became a part of it, uh, I could see that this is where we wanted to spend our time and where we wanted to encourage our family to spend their time. I uh, ended up, we ended up with six boys, and so I wanted them to have training. I wanted them to have spiritual ingrowth. I wanted them to know about baptism and um, confirmation, Bible camps, youth groups, mission trips, all of that, and the did were a part of all of that and went on into young life and other Christian activities. <clears throat> it's been a wonderful place to be here, and this is a place I feel that you'll make your best friends. That's why I would encourage all young couples to get into a church to find uh, fellowship with people that are like-minded, where you can have your best friends and your best support. And this church surely did support us in some very difficult times. 
when my son was in an accident and was blinded, those were very hard days. And when I went through divorce, that was extremely hard. And I felt support and love here, though, and I so appreciated that. Um, anyway, that's why we, we ended up here. We had a wonderful, it's been over 50 years, so a lot has gone on in the church, both um, ups and downs, like in a family, ups and downs, difficult times, problem times, but we've been through this with 16 different pastors who have just each contributed something wonderful, I feel, to our congregation, and we've kind of loved them all, and uh, now we've got a new one, we kind of love him. (laughs) More than kind of. There is um, a little story that I want to tell you about Bud. He said, inject a little story from the past. And I did this in the first service and remembering back when our pastor, Bud and Donna Palmberg, came here. They were very young, and we had called this pastor wondering what he and his wife would be like. Well, one day we were down here at church, and they pulled up in a red convertible. <laughs> I think I was very conservative at that time, and I, <laughs> I thought, pastors don't have red convertibles. <laughs> and a wife who had bleach blonde hair, and I thought, she dyes her hair. That <laughs> was a bit much. And I, and, I, <laughs> and I said to my friend next to me, what have we gotten ourselves into? Well, it was something wonderful we got ourselves into, but I couldn't see it at the moment. (laughs) Anyway, this church has been, uh, it's been our life, really. And I thought about legacy after the first service this morning, this wonderful story of Elijah and Elisha. And I would suggest you go home and read 2 Kings, the whole chapter, to get the full meaning of of this sermon. But it's something, when you think, what do you want to leave your children? What do you want them to remember? And the same with the church. What kind of a church are we going to leave for your generation and the following generation? Um, It has changed. Through the years, we do change. And I see a church now that is young, and it's varied, and you do things that we didn't do. And some of the new things, I think, are wonderful and exciting. Some things, as I say, the old goldies have a little hard time adjusting to. But <laughs> uh, I think she's pointing. She said, music, you know, we're having a little problem with that sometimes. But there's so many good things and so many new things. And times change. Kids change. Uh, but the word of God never changes. And we wanted a church where God would be eminent where we would uh, our children would learn to love the savior and learn about his word and the instruction from his word <clears throat> both for this life and for the life to come our mother spoke very freely to us about heaven so heaven is a very real place to me and i'm looking forward to being there but this is the preparation time for that eternal life And our church has given us so much uh, in preparation for that. I see a church ahead that is going to uh, 
hopefully prosper and be a light on this island. And I hope when people come here, your friends, when you bring your friends, that they'll say, I, I saw Jesus there, and I saw people who loved Jesus. Um, I don't know what I would uh, tell you uh, for the future except to keep your heart right, keep in the word. We have to know the word. Keep in the word and uh, be free. I said be very free to witness to your friends and others. The time is really short. We don't have much time on this earth. We have to spend it in the best way we can and leave the best legacy we can for the next generation. God bless you. Did you say your age? I wrote this down, so hopefully we'll be shorter. One more second. I am 86. My name is Bob Dings, and this is my wife, Nancy. And as Peter requested, I am in my 85th year. We came as newlyweds and new parents to the east side in the late 1950s out of great big University Presbyterian Church in Seattle. And we soon started to look for a church on the east side of the lake. We were involved in the East Side Young Life Committee where we met John and Polly Lindbergh, and Mary and John Dawson. It was through this friendship and circumstance that we came here in about 1960 and have been here ever since. We were attracted by the Spirit and what we considered to be biblical teaching. In retrospect, I would suggest we were drawn here by, by the Holy Spirit, for which we are very grateful. It was a very small church, a big contrast with the likes of U Press. My recollection is that the first Sunday Pastor Bud came here and preached, we had a big crowd of about 35 people. The church soon kind of enveloped our lives and became a major part of it. We shared each other's lives, our joys and sorrows, we vacationed together for years and learned how to serve together. This church was most of our social life. Can you imagine having a mock wedding and having this handsome Norwegian as a voluptuous bride? <laughs> Thanks, Bob. In our 50-plus years here, we have witnessed large changes in the body life of the congregation and of the denomination as the world has changed. In the first year here, there was a decided ethnic Swedish flavor with Lucia brides at Christmas, Donna's smorgasbords, and lilting Swedish hymns. I can remember as a young man in a denominational meeting here, hearing an old Swede Lament, and this wasn't unkindly, that is the covenant coming to with a Greek pastor speaking of a young Greg Asimakopoulos. And I wonder what he would say now. <laughs> Peter also asked us to reflect on why we invested here 
and then why we stayed and continue to stay when so many of our generation are now out searching for the past? That was a good question. And I would answer it with his discussion of about passing the baton. Nancy and I had a privilege of being mentored by her father, who taught us, by example, proclamation, about the responsibility of giving beyond your first, the first fruits and the responsibility of service to the cause of Christ. Nancy will reflect more on this matter. Peter also asked us to tell what we see now in the current church. My experiences here and in denominational affairs reveals that unless a church changes with the generations and reaches out to the younger generation in a way they can relate to, the Holy Spirit will allow the church to die. That's pretty grim. So I am thrilled to see new life has been breathed into this church so that the gospel will continue to be proclaimed on Mercer Island. Now that I'm in my 80s, I find myself pondering over what will be my legacy to my children, my grandchildren, and to this church. This place has been the foundation from which we have served the Lord over the years. Initially, we gave ourselves and our finances because we were such a small congregation and desperately needed. You name it, we were involved. Elders, deacons, Bob was Mr. Handyman and was head of the building committee to put this sanctuary together, and also a developer, developer of his precious Cascade Covenant camp. While he was doing his thing, I was playing the piano for the choir, inlay counseling, and congregational care, etc., etc., etc. But I don't want to be remembered as that busy, casserole-toting church lady but rather as someone who served out of love for Jesus. We have personally experienced the biblical promise that if we give, we shall receive. Or as Peter recently reminded us, out of giving comes joy. We've had some real heartaches in our lives. We lost our precious 16-year-old daughter to bone cancer, and the church overwhelmed us with congregational prayer meetings and hundreds of acts of compassion. Several years ago, our dear 17-year-old granddaughter was critically injured in a horrific head-on car collision with a resulting fatality in the other vehicle. As we were waiting in the Harborview Hospital Trauma Center, the first thing I thought to do was to call our pastor friend for support and prayer. The outpouring of love overwhelmed us. More recently, following extensive surgery, I experienced an emotional breakdown that I thought I would not live through. Here again, the church anointed me with oil, prayed for me, visited me, and gave me hope there would be light at the end of my dark tunnel. I'm well on my way to healing. Why would we ever leave this church when we have been so tenderly and well cared for? We have found here what it means to be part of a family. We started a small group, and for 15 years we met every Monday evening and shared our lives and the Bible with each other. I encourage you to find a small group here at Evergreen so you can make dear friends and grow in your faith. 
I'm not a person who likes changes. I lived in the same house 40 years, have worn the same style of New Balance tennis shoes forever, (laughs) been in the same church for over 55 years, and kept the same husband for 56 years. (laughs) But surprisingly enough, I find myself excited about changes here. New name, new pastor, new worship style, although that's been a challenge for some of us oldies. As I look over the congregation, half of you are new faces to me. I look forward to getting to know you. I'm so glad you have chosen to be here and pray that you will grow spiritually, feel cared for, and find this place a place for you to find joy as you give and receive. I believe the Holy Spirit is here. There's a new energy, and I'm excited about the future. Pardon my voice. I've been fighting the cold for a few days. I'm Don Strom, and uh, this is my wife, beautiful wife, Mary. I was born in Seattle in 1929 and therefore 84 years old. And Bob, by the way, my memory says I was the bridesmaid, not the, not the, uh, the bride. <laughs> they were ugly either way. <laughs> <laughs> the Great Depression was on at this time, so money was tight, and therefore times were very tough in, in, in the United States. I remember a shantytown where Sears is today with shacks in very poor living condition. Uh, that uh, they call that town Hooverville after our president. My dad and mother were very strong, born-again Christians, and my dad would have had a strong desire to help the downtrodden folks that were living on Skid Road. In the 1930s and 1940s, the area around First Avenue was a very rough part of town. My parents felt called to serve in a mission church located in this area. They led many people to the Lord at this church. It was difficult for me and my siblings, and it had a very negative effect as I was ashamed and embarrassed to say where I went to church. I was able to separate my love and honor for my parents and my strong negative feelings towards the church. I have never forgotten one advice my dad gave me, and that was never call the men in the street bums because they are some mother's sons that took a wrong turn in life. After graduate, <coughs> excuse me, after graduating from UW in engineering as awarded a scholarship at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, it was here that I met my wife, Mary, which is a blessing for me. After graduate school, I went in the Army for two years. We then moved to Seattle, and I went to work for the Boeing Company. The first two years we lived in Seattle, we, uh, we lived in Shorewood Apartments while my dad and I built our house. During all these years, Mary and I went to church only one town, one time, and I felt no desire to attend church. I was happy with my life and did not need, did not feel a need for the Lord. My mother said that she thought the Covenant Church was a good church and that we should try it, which we did in 1960. Mary went more than I did, but we met some dear friends in the church. They did not judge me for my non-belief, 
that they showed concern for my soul. They invited us to dinner, and we had many camping trips and skiing trips to Sun Valley. I now know that they were praying for me and showed nothing but love for Mary and me. In the early 1960s, Billy Graham came, uh, had services in the kingdom, and for some reason, which I forgot now why, Mary and I got invited to a luncheon where he spoke. It was at that luncheon that I finally surrendered myself to the Lord. I did not feel, I did not come meekly, but fought all the way. The Lord just loved me the same. I heard no angels singing or felt no emotions, but knew that I'd crossed from death to life. Pastor Bud became our pastor in 1967. He preached the word, and over time, my faith grew. Mary and I joined the church on March 3rd, 1968. A lot of funny stories have happened over the years, and I will share two. One, Pastor Bud was in a hurry to go to church one Sunday morning, and he put all his sermon notes in the top of his car, forgot about them, and as he took off, he could see them flying on the highway behind him. <laughs> Number two, one Sunday morning, Pastor Bud must have slept in because when he didn't show up, Jim Merrick, in his quiet voice, called the pastor and said, Pastor, are you going to join us this morning? <laughs> Why do I stay in this church? Every pastor that we have had over the years has remained true to the gospel. I love, too, I love the church because of the many friends for over 30 years that have lived the Christian life. Three, it is exciting to see what the Lord has in store for this church in the next few years. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis gives a great description of a church. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ. I believe that is a good description of our church. Thank you for letting us share today. It's such a privilege. And uh, my name is Mary Strom, and I was born in Highland Park, Illinois, and I'm 83 years old young. (laughs) I feel young. But I'm old. (laughs) Our family regularly attended Highland Park Presbyterian Church as I was growing up. The music was beautiful, but I do not remember ever hearing anything about the inner joy of receiving Jesus in my heart and having a personal relationship with him. I met Don at Northwestern University. We were married December 29, 1953, and just celebrated our 60th Wedding anniversary. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) On a cruise. (laughs) We went on a cruise. We have have three adult children, eight grandchildren, and one great-grandson. We started attending the Covenant Church here on Mercer Island in 1960. We were in our early 30s at the time. Our first impression was a good one because members were all very, very friendly. The Dawson's and the Lindberghs, invited us to dinner, and I know the Dings many times, they came a little later, but they invited us to to dinner, and Arnie Holding, one of the charter members, came to our home the first day we visited church. That was amazing. In my mid-30s, tragedy struck our family. My sister Grace, who was married and lived in, when she was living in England, was struck by a motorcycle. 
after getting off a bus in front of her home. She was unconscious for days. At that same time, my older brother Bob became very ill while attending college in Denver, Colorado. This was a very difficult time for all of our family, and especially me. And Don's father, who was quite a mentor, and his mother, who I loved, gave me a scripture that was very comforting and drew my heart towards Jesus Christ. Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It was a short time later that I knelt down in our kitchen, in our home now, because I'm like Nancy. We, I like the same house. We've been there for years. Um, I was about 35 years old, and I later found out that all the members of Don's father's church had been praying for Don and me. So I'm so thankful for that. In 1967, Pastor Bud and Donna came to our church, And one of the first, this is um, a neat thing, because one of the first questions that Donna ever asked me when she met me was, Mary, would you like to hand out the four spiritual law booklets with me in my neighborhood? She gave me one, and I said, I'll go home and practice first. So my brother Bob was visiting our home, and I asked him, "Um, could I practice something on you? (laughs) I read everything to him from the book. And then the big question at the end of the book was, Bob, would you like to receive Jesus into your life? He said, yes. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do now? <laughs> so I said, let's pray. <laughs> and he asked Jesus into his life. He's been a Christian for 50 years now. So I praise God for that. My whole family moved here except my brother David. I'm so grateful to our Lord because my parents, my sister, Grace, and my brother Bob all came to know Jesus Christ through the ministry uh, of Pastor Bud and the the Covenant Church here in Mercer Island. So I thank God for that. There have been many faithful prayer warriors in our church who have passed on to be with our Lord. Jim Merrick, Mignon Dusenberry, Helen Griffith, Lou Lovestead are just a few that stand out and have been an inspiration to me and to, and to others. We have been blessed and encouraged by their lives and their ministry of prayer among us, and we miss them. They have passed the baton on to this church, and I believe this is a praying church. Many pray at home, others in small groups, and for years a group of men and women have met every Thursday morning from 8 to 9, a.m. in our church sanctuary to pray for our pastors, staff, church, families, missionaries, and our nation. And these aren't long prayers. You know, you think uh, prayers are, you know, I, what I love about the prayers that we have as we sit, as we sit together, we, we just, the Holy Spirit moves us, and we say short prayers, and we were moved by what the Holy Spirit is saying to us at the time. And so it's really beautiful. It's um, not a religious spirit at all, and I thank God for that. I've stayed in this church not because it is perfect, as we are all imperfect people, but because I've seen God at work changing the lives and the hearts of our church people and because the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached. Right now, it's exciting to see Jesus and his Holy Spirit work 
at work. I want to stay because I believe that God has a plan and a future for us. My hope for the church is that we will continue to be God's house of prayer and that many will have the inner joy of receiving Jesus Christ into their hearts and lives. The oldest shall be last. I wasn't smart enough to write out all I'm going to say as they did. So I'm going to rely on a few notes and my memory. I'm Mary's sister, Mary's sister, John's wife. I'm around 84. We grew up in Iowa in a Lutheran church, as my sister has said. Our mother was a very strong believer, and she had a great deal of effect on Mary and me in our early life. Me too. And John. In fact, my mother loved John a great deal. The little church that we belonged to, I loved this little church. But when I um, went to confirmation, that's when I really learned what the Word of God was about and who, what all the whole idea of faith was. And as a teenager, I, through confirmation, I did put my life in Christ's hands. And then I was really growing when I went to the Billy Graham crusade. And through that, I really felt strongly that I knew what I believed. I went through uh, school and nurses training, and when I graduated, I met John. And we got married, and we moved out here. And we have five children, and we... um, as we thought about what church we were going to go to, John said, obviously it'll go to the Covenant Church. It's near our home, and it's going to be a Covenant Church. Well, the church, as I find it, it's not a, it's not a building. It's the body of Christ. And all those who come to hear and to learn that. And as others have said, we had wonderful experiences with these 30 or more people. We all had to do the jobs because there were only that many here. So whether we were weeding or we were teaching a Sunday school class or we were a a camp advisor, whatever it was, it was good. The one story I would like to tell about the years, early years, uh, well, it wasn't really the early years, but uh, Pastor Bud took a lot of people on trips to Israel. And uh, John and I were fortunate enough to go. And uh, they made us wear wear shirts with with two camels on it. And Bud and Donna sitting on the camels as our leaders. It was one of the best trips of our life. Not only did we, we were all believers and we were all from this little congregation. And uh, I just remember, I'll never forget it. 
and the stories that we have to tell from that trip. The other thing about this church that impressed me was it was a mission-minded church. And I remember my mother saying, if a church isn't mission-minded, it will never grow. And I find that to be true. I think our church here grew a great deal because it is so mission-minded. And we have so many in different fields of mission here. I would um, like to think that our children will be interested in that as they grow. We have five. We have uh, 13 grandchildren. And um, I would say to them, in passing on the baton, we, we may never be faithful in many ways, but Jesus will always be faithful to them. To trust in the Lord with all their heart, to lean not upon their understanding, but in every way acknowledge him and he will supply our need. In June of 1952, I asked Polly to marry me, and she said yes, and I haven't gotten over it since. We got married later on. (laughs) My name is John. Uh, I will be 91 in June, and I think 90s make me officially old. Uh, I've been very thankful that the Lord has allowed me to have these 90 years because as some of you know uh, in 1990 uh, I did have uh, a bout with cancer and chemotherapy and uh, I was cured from that thank the Lord but at any rate uh, I am an outlier amongst this group because I grew up in a Christian family that was nurtured uh, by the Covenant Church. And uh, <clears throat> and so I have been nurtured by Covenant Churches. Swedish Tabernacle downtown, which is now First Covenant in the 20s and 30s. Edgewater Covenant Church in Chicago in the 40s. The Covenant Church in Hinsdale, Illinois in the 50s. First Covenant in Seattle in the early 50s, Mercer Island Covenant Church in 1957, and Evergreen Covenant Church in 2013. Uh, The Covenant Church is where I learned, in my family, is where I learned who I was, a sinner, the story of Jesus, and that the Bible is the Word of God and the source of saving faith and conduct. We have been here in Mercer Island since 1957. Polly and I, I think, we're about the 19th and 20th members. And uh, our experiences, of course, are many and varied. Uh, Building, even building pews. I know what it's like to build a pew. And as I've been thinking about it, there was even nostalgia when they had to get rid of those pews and put in cushioned pews, and uh, 
even more nostalgia when the cushion pews and our beautiful wooden pew wooden pews were replaced by these chairs, which of course, which are uh, totally functional and uh, appropriate. <laughs> So you see how, how change occurs. Another aspect of change that I'm thankful for, if there hadn't been any change in our covenant congregation as I grew up, we'd be having Swedish services this morning. And I would find that would probably not be very successful in our day. So thank the Lord for change. Uh, parties and fun, raising our children, Learning, growing, singing, and praying. It's been a great legacy. And I've talked about, thought about legacy and passing of the mantle really for the first time when my father passed away and passed his mantle on to me and my family. And I've had occasion to think of that quite a bit since. And so many have passed the baton on to me since... <coughs> as I've progressed in my years. And uh, uh, you will not know a number of them, but each one that I name has given me something special from their baton. My parents, Polly's parents, grandfather, Don King, Ricewig, Artie Holing, Jim Merrick, Paul Brandel, Milt Ingebretson, F.M. Johnson, Ralph Hansen, Carl Olson, Eric Gustafson, Aaron Markison, Eric Hawkinson, Wally Lagerquist, Roland Johnson, Fritz Yelm, Gusty Johnson, Otelia Hendrickson, Amy Fredrickson. And then finally, the earliest man in my memory who passed on such a baton, E.A. Skooksberg, who was the minister of the church downtown when it was constructed. At my age, I will soon pass my baton on to you. Lord willing, it will be the story of the resurrected Jesus Christ, the Holy Scriptures, the true eternal word of God, the source of faith and conduct. To God be the glory. Today, I want to invite you to receive the baton from those who have gone before us. I want to invite you to bear the weight of this local church. And I want to ask you to help take our church to God's preferred future for us. Let me read 2 Kings 2, 9 one more time. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. What's a double portion? 
of spirit. I'm sorry, airplay keeps kicking me off. A double portion isn't uh, twice the amount of spirit. It isn't twice the amount of power. It's not wanting to do twice the amount of anything. But in this culture where they practice primogeniture, primogeniture means that the eldest son received a double portion of the family's property so that they can carry on the bulk of the family name. And so, uh, for example, when Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, and he asks the dad for half the wealth, that's part of the offense, is that the younger son wasn't ever to get half. It was the oldest son who would get double. So in this passage, when Elisha... Uh, is asking for the double portion of Elijah's spirit. He's saying to Elijah, I want to do your ministry. The calling that God had on you, I want to receive that calling. The power that God invested in you, I want to have that power. I need that power to do the work that you did. I prayed for two weeks for this passage, uh, for this sermon, and uh, I was led to this passage in a peculiar way. And initially, I saw no relation to uh, the topic. But as I studied it more and more, I began to see a thread. Let me read it to us. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There are many of you here who have been at this church for a while. And you look at this church and you think of it as your church. You think of it as a familiar place. And I want to suggest to you today that there's an invitation here for you to be born again. For you to receive from those that have gone before us. A double portion of their spirit so that we can carry on the ministry of this local church with new eyes, with new vision, a new understanding of what God's calling is for us. You need to be born again. And I need to be born again. I need a double portion and you need a double portion. When I first came to this church, I met with Pastor Bud Palmberg, the patriarch of this church, And uh, we were meeting in Starbucks, and I think I caught him by surprise. I said, Bud, you had great ministry here. I've heard the stories. I've heard of uh, the work that you were able to do here. And I don't want to do greater things. I want to do what you did. And so as Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, I want to ask you to lay your hand on me, and I want you to pray for me that I might have a double portion of whatever it is you had. And so I knelt down in Starbucks parking lot, the lodge Starbucks, we were sitting outside. I knelt before Bud and he put his hands on my head and he prayed for me. And so I want to invite us to a similar experience. There are those of you here who consider yourself uh, to be an old timer. If you are here and you've been around and you know this place and you have history here, Uh, If that's you and you can identify yourself as that person, 
Can I ask you to stand up in your seats? Please look around. I want to ask all of you to, that are standing to extend your hand out, and I want you to pray for us. Put your hand out as you can. And I'm going to pray, and in your heart say amen. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So run in such a way as to get the prize. They do it for a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last Forever, God, this is our prayer. We receive the mantle, we take the baton, and we take into ourselves a double portion of their spirit, of your spirit, and give us the burden and the privilege and the call to build your local church. We receive this legacy for your namesake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.